Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Every person has a story to tell, and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week, I interview a new guest to come on the show, and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid-fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Beyond the Game. Ever wonder what your life will be like after sport? Check out Beyond the Game, an organization dedicated to elevating the vision of athletes through the connection of sport to what's next. Their aim is to create better athletes, stronger leaders, tighter teams, and most importantly, more enlightened people. Through research-based workshops, team seminars, keynote speaking, and one-on-one coaching, they guide people through some of the difficult transitions in sport and life. Follow their journey on Facebook and LinkedIn at Beyond the Game, on Instagram at Beyond underscore the Game, and on their website, gobeyondthegame.ca. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to episode 13 of the podcast. Today's guest is Harry Potvin. Harry is a Brooklyn, Ontario native and a former varsity swimmer and captain for the University of Guelph Griffins. He is a mental health advocate and runs his own YouTube channel, The Mental Corner. He has had opportunities to share his story with you sports and is a big supporter of the Bell Let's Talk Day. He is majoring in biology and is going back for his fifth year at the University of Guelph. Here is my interview with Harry Potvin. All right, I'm here with Harry Potvin. Harry, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing, my friend? Not bad, as good as I can be. How are you, Theo? Uh, it's it's going okay. I mean, we're all uh, self-isolating right now. We're recording this at the time of COVID-19, so both of us, I'm sure, are feeling the effects of that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to move to segment one here, your journey. So you have a really interesting story. I can't wait to hear it. So can you tell the audience how you got to where you are today, both as a varsity swimmer and also running your own YouTube channel, The Mental Corner? Yeah, for sure. Um, So the YouTube channel actually didn't come until way later, kind of nearing the end of my whole journey with everything. So basically, I guess where I'd, where I'd start is high school. I was always like a really extroverted kid. I was always seen as like the happy kid. But you know, that persona was never really how I truly felt. I was always in my head. I was always really hard on myself. I was always super upset. It, it it didn't take much for me to get upset or get angry. So I was, I was known as a hothead to like my family and stuff. That was kind of the result from me bottling how I felt about certain things up. Growing up, like I, I always told myself, you know, how I felt didn't matter. I'm a man. I should, I shouldn't be feeling sad. I shouldn't be feeling this way. So I kept bottling it up all through high school, kind of put on a face, told everyone that I was going to be the happy guy. And no one, like even my best friends, like I had a best friend since grade six and even he had no idea about how what I was going through because I kept it to myself and I told myself it's really not that big of a deal because my family's great. Like there were obviously like my parents, my parents got divorced, but there was nothing like about my family that really led me to feel sad. And there was never, I had a, I was fortunate enough as a kid to grow up in a good family and have a nice upbringing. So there was never anything that was like there where it was like, okay, that's why he feels this way. So not having that excuse to feel upset kind of made me feel like I needed to bottle it up because I was, I didn't want everyone to 
be like, oh, you're upset, but why? Because your life is so great. Well, I, you're allowed to feel upset even if you have a good upbringing. It's not, that's not a requirement. But I didn't know that. So in high school, I kind of bottled, bottled it up, felt really upset. And then when I got to university, all the, all the distractions from high school were gone. And obviously in first year, you know, it's a big transition from high school to university. You're kind of on your own for the first time. And this is kind of when I really started to realize like I had a problem with my mental health because I had never really focused on it ever. So I kind of, you know, went off the deep end a little bit. I got very, very depressed, very in my head, very uh, suicidal. And I never really wanted to tell anybody because like in high school, I wanted to be the happy guy that everyone knew. And so with my friends and family, I kind of just rubbed it off, brushed it off, sorry, and said like everything was fine, but it really wasn't. And then, you know, I think I think my hardest year was this year, actually, because for a number of reasons, like I had just gotten out of a relationship, dealing with a really bad injury uh, that kind of led me to swimming less, like doing the thing I loved less. I had a really bad back injury. And so when I would train, I'd have to get out early and I'd have to sit on the deck and watch everyone else train and have fun, which was really tough. And, you know, in like September, October, it got way too much. And there were some like attempts at ending it. And I, that's when I realized I was like, I need to fix this like now, like I need, I need to do something now or else I'm not going to be here for the people in my life. And I I knew then that I was like there's I'm here for a reason and I'm I'm going to do something with what I've got. So I think it was November, that's when they had the men's only mental health panel at the University of Guelph and they had uh asked me to do it and I had already been interviewed by U Sports about mental health for Bell Let's Talk Day and even that like it was just an article and even that was really tough to even just be interviewed for and to read after. Like I remember when that came out in 2018, I think I remember going to the washroom at the library, McLaughlin library and just breaking down. Cause I was like finally opening up about stuff. Uh, so at the beginning I was kind of hesitant to, you know, do this thing because it was going to be in front of like 300 people. And I was going to tell them like everything, like even when I told you sports people like stuff, I always left stuff out, stuff that, you know, I feel like was too extreme for people to hear or I didn't want my family to hear and stuff like that. But I decided that this panel was going to be the time where I was like, I'm going to open up about everything. And so the weeks leading up to it, I didn't even write anything for it. I, I didn't even think about it because it had been so stressful that I was like, I don't need this right now. So I kind of just put it in the back burner. And then a week before I started writing and I poured everything onto like a page and I remember like 10 minutes before the panel, I was sitting there with the microphone and everyone is like sitting. I went into the room with the panel and there were four other panelists and they, by the way, they all did an amazing job. Like it, it was a great panel, but I was sitting there and there was like 300 people and I only knew like a certain amount of them and my closest friends were like in the front, but even they had no idea what I was going to say. So I was sitting there and right before I went, I was like, this is, this is it. Here we go. And I opened up about everything, things that I had never mentioned to anybody for like years, like decade, like a decade opened up about everything. And then after the panel, I had it, it, the reception from the panel. And then for weeks afterwards was crazy, like amazing. 
and I had people come up and be like, your story was inspiring. Like I'm going through something similar. And I think that's when I realized like, I've really got something that I can use here to like, not only inspire people, but like help people, help people realize like, especially men, like if you're feeling upset or if you have an issue, don't bottle it up. Like it is completely okay to let it out and bottling it up makes everything worse. And so I, I kind of took that and put it into my work for volunteering. I volunteered at the student support network at the university of Guelph. And so I, I put my energy into that. And then I also put it into leading the swim team at Guelph when I was the captain. And then eventually I thought, you know what, I can do more with this. And I just started the channel beginning of March, I believe. Yeah. March 11th was my first video. And that's kind of where the YouTube channel came from and where the inspiration came from. That's awesome. And I definitely recommend for those who are listening to check out the article and Harry, are there certain people that you would like to maybe give a shout out to or someone that you would say really helped you on this journey? I'm sure there were a lot of people and events, but were there, is there someone specific that you like to shout out sort of for their support during that time? Oh man, I got to shout a couple people out, honestly. First off, my family, because I had bottled everything up for so long because I was scared of how like my mom and my dad would react. I didn't want them to know this like other side. But then when I finally opened up, they were super supportive and just the complete opposite of what my brain was, my brain was telling me they were going to be, which was huge. And it really helped. And so I got to shout out them. I also got to shout out my housemates. Actually, forget that. I'm going to shout out the whole swim team. (laughs) (laughs) There's two people in my house, Brady and Veronica. They know who they are, but they've been huge in my life. But the whole swim team in general, like just... There were, there were a lot of teammates that came to the panel and there's a lot of teammates that still check up on me and that's huge for me. It kind of made me realize that the bottling up was not pointless, but it, it was like there was no need to bottle everything up. There's no need to hide. And even as a captain, like to open up about these vulnerabilities, like all my swim team members still came up and said they were appreciative and that's, I didn't, I did not expect that. So that was huge. And then my best friend of all time, Tay Williams, I've known the kids since like grade six. He actually did not know anything about like that side until I came out with it like a year ago. Man, the guy is like the most down to earth guy I know. Super genuine. Like he calls me every week to check up on me. The guy is a huge reason why I am where I am. And yeah, those are the people I really got to shout out. For sure. And just hearing the support system you have is really important. I know that's a big part of Bell Let's Talk Day. I know the University of Guelph has done a great job in terms of putting awareness to that. I know I had a chance to commentate volleyball this past year for the Bell Let's Talk Day games and having both teams come in before the game or after and showing their support for that initiative is really cool. So I'm sure the swim team has had opportunities to do that as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. We do Bell Let's Talk Day every week, every year. It's a big event, so it's really nice to see, especially now because it's actually getting bigger with athletes, which even when I started in university, like mental health was never a topic of discussion. So just seeing it is huge. This year at the university, Daniel Carcillo was able to come down as well. So that's really cool to see high profile pro athletes and and university athletes share their story. So my question for you is, as an athlete, how did that help you transition to starting a YouTube channel where... Um, You do talk to other athletes. So what did that allow you to do being a a varsity athlete yourself? 
being a varsity athlete myself kind of allowed me, first of all, it gave me a work ethic. So, you know, like editing videos and, you know, scheduling video recordings and everything. It, it's a lot of work. It's it's a lot more work than people realize it is because they just see the final product. But the videos I've been filming, like where I bring guests on, like they can range fully edited from like 20 to 40 minutes. But before editing, it's like an hour, hour more than that. So there's a lot of, there's a huge process that comes with it. And I think the work ethic that varsity sports kind of gave me has allowed me to like put my head down and kind of do the work without like complaining much. Not not that I don't like the work. I love the work I do, but it, it it's helped for sure. Um, and then another thing, because I brought on athletes onto my channel, one thing that varsity sports has let me do, even if it's not on the same scale, it's let me relate to my guests in a way that a lot of people can't. And that's been huge because it's kind of given like uh, me and the guests like a level of familiarity, even though I've never met these people. We have this level of connection where we can relate on stuff. And that's been a huge help with interviewing people for sure. That's awesome. And you can definitely check out some of his work there on the mental corner. And so now I'm going to ask you, um, related to, to your journey, what advice would you give to someone else who's one, trying to be a varsity athlete, and then two, someone who's an athlete currently and is dealing with some mental health things? What are some advice you would give to both of those situations? For someone who's uh, starting to be a varsity athlete or someone who's like f- coming into university for the first time as a varsity athlete, I got to say, like, it's going to hurt. Like, no matter what sport, no matter what sport you're in, it is going to be the first two months are going to be the worst months of your life, I promise you. But after those two months, it is so worth it. And you kind of, I don't think people understand how easy it is to make friends in the varsity world because everyone's on the same page. Everyone's on the same level. And so it kind of right out, right out of the gate, even if you have trouble making friends, it gives you like this friend group, this family going into university, this support system that might not be there if you weren't in sports. So to anyone getting into sports, yes, absolutely stick with it. Push through those first two months. I wanted to quit so hard after those first two months. I was like, I don't even like swimming. This is horrible. But after the two months, it was like, I I would have regretted that for years. I've seen people quit the sport. I've seen people quit sports in general. And after they're like, man, why did I do that? Like, so for anyone coming in, like, definitely, definitely stick with it. It is so worth it. And you're going to get so many good memories out of it, I promise. And then, so I think, I think one big misconception, and we're going to talk about misconceptions later, but one big misconception about mental health in general is that everyone sees it as super negative. So mental health, like, I'm I'm not an expert. And I want to make that clear. I'm not an <laughs> yeah, expert. Yeah, yeah. I'm still in school. Not a doctor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm speaking solely on experience and things I talked about with guests. But mental health, like, can go from, you know, being stressed about a test, all the way to like, depression, anxiety, like, and I think what people, the big misconception is that mental health is only the extremes. You're either super depressed, super anxious, like suicidal, or you're perfect. And the reality is no one falls, like no one falls into the perfect and very few fall into the super extreme. Everyone's in the middle. And so even if you're just feeling stressed or 
upset about something, talk, open up. Don't, don't brush it to the side. Don't like say whatever. It's fine. It doesn't matter because it's not as serious as like someone else's problem. Thinking like that is not going to help anything. If, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling anxious, go talk to somebody. It doesn't even have to be like a therapist because I know therapy is like super intimidating. But even if it's just like a friend that you can confide with into a family member, like anybody just open up, don't bottle it up because it's going to make everything worse. And then the end result after that, like it's going to take a while. Obviously, the recovery period is so long and no one like no one tells you how long and brutal it is. But after the recovery period, like you're going to feel a lot better and it's going to it's going to be worth it for sure. Well, that's great. And for those who are listening that are potentially friends of those who have people that struggle with that, it's definitely important just to have that opportunity to just sit and listen and not necessarily try to fix things. Would you say, Harry, a lot of people might just want to fix the situation. Oh, you're feeling depressed. I'll just give you this one, one stop fix solution, but it's not often like that. No. Yeah. There's, there's, there's never one dead end solution. And Like in my life, I was fortunate enough to have friends that kind of went through similar stuff, which I didn't realize until I opened up, but they kind of realized that sitting and listening to the person talk is way more valuable than them interrupting and going, go do this. Like people, people who are struggling through something don't respond well to orders. I know when I would like go through a panic attack or I'd, I'd have like an outburst, an angry outburst, like people who would sit there and go do this now or go do this. Why are you acting like that? Those were the people that did not help anything. The people that helped were the the friends and family that kind of sat down and listened to, to me rant and kind of let me get everything out. And then them ask me like, what can I do to help? Those are the people that like really make a difference. Harry, I just want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier. You said about the first two months being really hard. So can you maybe extrapolate or describe what that what that actually looks like so for those who maybe want to go into varsity swimming for example other sports what makes the first two months you're not the first person to say this what makes the first two months so difficult comparatively to the rest oh man so in like high school sports and I'm, I'm speaking solely on swimming but I remember my schedule would be I would go to practice like 5 a.m and then I'd go straight from practice to school And then from school, I would, after school, I'd go to rugby practice. And then I would do like any extracurriculars after that. And then I'd go straight to swim practice again, and then come home, eat dinner, do homework, go to bed. And that was the cycle. But for some reason, in high school, it's like, it's doable, because you have the help of teachers, you have the help of parents, like you have all these resources that you can use to not only balance your work, but also like, to help guide you. When you get to university, I I don't think it's highlighted enough how alone you're going to be. This is like the first time for a lot of people that you're, you're legitimately by yourself. And when you have this whole figuring yourself out kind of period, that's the two month period. When you have that going on, as well as sports, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure. The first two months, uh, actually like the first two weeks are like the tryouts. And so those are the most stressful points for like newcomers because you want to make 
a statement on the team. You want to show your presence. You want them to remember you so you can make the team, right? So you have that pressure going on. You have the pressure of dealing with being alone for the first time. You have the pressure of making new friends, making a new schedule. You have the pressure of university, which the courses are ridiculously hard compared to high school. My high school was a joke. Like I I would study for tests the morning of the test. Like I would study in the class before the test started. I, I never studied before. So my study habits were horrible. So finding new study habits adds into that. And then the first two months of training, you've had the whole summer off. So those first two months, the coaches, I'm sure it's like that with every sport, but for swimming, especially they were like, we're going to pound you with meters. We're going to pound you with intensity. I don't care how how many times you cry. I don't care how much it hurts. We're going to do it. So you get whipped into shape because our first huge meets in November. And so September, October, are like prime training, training months. So you're like physically and mentally just drained and like as low as you can get. And that's why it's like by far the hardest period of first year anyway. For sure. And so for the rookies out there, what's like maybe one thing you would say to try to help them get through those first two months? What What are some suggestions you would have for that? Resources. Use your resources. Of A huge advantage of being a varsity athlete is you have resources. You have resources at the tip of your fingertips. You have, at Guelph anyway, we had the student athlete mentorship program where varsity athletes from upper years help the younger kids. And they help them with like balancing school and sport. They help them with like making agendas. Taken, I, I, this is a side note. I never used an agenda until I went to talk to one of them in third year. Like I would have been so much less stressed if I used an agenda in first year, like they had told me to do. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But student athlete mentorship program, we've got the student support network. There's a line specifically for varsity athletes. So varsity athletes from upper years, like myself, we, you can talk about your problems to them and maybe they'll be able to relate more because you're both kind of in the same boat. Your coaches are a huge, huge support system. They're, I can't think of a coach off the top of my head that like Guelph anyway, that would shut you down if you went to talk about your problems to them. Like my, the swim coach Shantique is amazing. And I feel bad because I went to her a lot like this year with my problems. Like I went to her a lot and it might have been a little much, but she was always like willing to listen and willing to have me sit in her office and rant or just have my panic moment. So you've got that. You've got the upper years on your team who have been in the same spot as you. It might not have been as recently as you, but they've been there before. So it just stuff like that. You've got resources everywhere. And I guess what I would say is like, use them. They're there for you. And they make an enormous difference, especially when you're struggling. Because it's like, it's one thing to have to get help professionally and like, to get therapy and all of that. But it's another thing to have people who have literally been in the same spot and have them talk about what helped them because it's like, you're getting firsthand experience. So use those resources. Absolutely. A big theme that you're probably hearing is Harry's suggestion to just seek help, seek resources. Don't shy away from that. So that's great to hear Harry. And we're going to move to segment two day-to-day life. So can you talk about what day-to-day life looks like as a varsity swimmer, how that may have helped or not helped in your mental health journey in terms of the sport of swimming itself? And then 
talk a bit about day-to-day life, uh, running your own channel, the mental corner. Yeah, for sure. So I think swimming for the day-to-day life, I think it both helped and did not help mental health. Obviously, I would personally say it helped more than it didn't, but to focus on the parts that didn't help, I had an interview with uh, Canadian Olympian Rachel Nickel, and she she said this, and I completely agree, is that swimming's like a very repetitive sport. You're swimming meters upon meters upon meters, and you're like stuck in your own little world with your own thoughts the entire time because you can't hear anyone. Your ears are full of water. And while there may be like a full of there's no music, you don't got the headphones in. No, exactly. There's no headphones. There's nothing like you hear the song when you get to the wall and then you leave and that's it. And same with teammates, like you'll see them for a brief second, but then you'll go back to being with yourself. So if you're in like this state of like problems with mental health and you're taking that to practice and it's in your head the entire time, like that does not help anything because then you're overthinking about everything and you're adding on the stress of practice and you're adding on the stress of performing. So in that sense, like swimming definitely did not help mental health, but in terms of helping it, it it makes you, for me anyway, like after training camps and after all the hard training, I I used to think like, if I can get through this, I can get through a lot of stuff. And that like self-confidence came from swimming. And so being on a team like that with like that much physical demand is definitely a reason why I can get through stuff now. I can look at adversity i can look at problems and be like i went through the worst training period anyone's ever known i can get through this so in that sense it definitely helped and then in another sense it helped me learn organization which in turn like reduces stress especially for students being on a team you got to stay on the ball you got to make sure you have everything written down you know when things are happening so that you're not only organized for school but for competitions so having that organization definitely helped as well. And then what was your other question? Sorry. In terms of running the mental corner, what does that look like now in a COVID-19 world? What does that look like in terms of running your own channel? Oh, yeah, for sure. So when I started the channel, I didn't really know where I was going to go with it. My first couple videos are like, there's a little vlog before and then I talk about like a problem or something. But then if you see my first vlog, I'm like, hey, I'm going to bring you guys to school. I'll show you a day in my life. And as soon as I got to school, my classes were like, yeah, we're shutting down because of Corona. So I was like, I literally have nothing to show you guys because I will be locked in my house and vlogs are boring when it's just you in a house. So I had to kind of change what I was doing. And then I kind of came up with the idea of like bringing people on and kind of showing, you know, my viewers that you're not alone ever. And if these people like these people have gone through the same stuff, and I just kind of wanted to, you know, normalize the conversation of mental health and kind of get people talking. So Corona has actually helped me a lot. I've brought people on that are from like Texas, like BC, like around, like not around the world yet, but are far in Canada and USA, like places that if Corona wasn't happening, one, their schedule would be too busy to talk to me for sure. And two, I would not be able to go out and travel to them because my original plan with the H panel, which is where I bring people on, was to go to like, go get coffee with these people, go talk about it, like in a calm kind of setting. But, you know, with with the people I've brought on, that would have been impossible. I would have been spending so much on travel tickets and it it would not have worked at all. So Corona has actually helped me in that sense. 
And it's also helped because now that the world's kind of on a standstill, not only has it given me like a distraction from all the negativity in the world, but it's also given me the ability to kind of gear down and focus on this one thing as opposed to having a bunch of different distractions coming my way. So it's actually been personally a positive thing at the end of the day. I think that's a good mentality to have as well in terms of obviously a lot of our lives have been stopped with COVID-19. I know, for example, the athletic banquet at Guelph was canceled and went online. So that's an example of an event you look forward to every year and it got canceled. But I think having that positive mindset of what you can accomplish and even just being okay with trying to get your feet under you and be able to learn from that is really good. But I want to go back a bit now to your life as a swimmer. Can you talk about You mentioned a bit about practice in terms of being your own head, but can you walk us through what a typical practice day would look like and then what a typical meet day would look like and how maybe were there opportunities for you to to grow and, and learn in your mental health journey within that time period? Yeah, for sure. So I'll start with the practice. I don't know if, you know, if anyone from swimming is listening, you'll know. We hope, we hope. (laughs) Yeah, we hope. Yeah. Uh, You'll know what I mean when I say like the day of a swimmer can be brutal. The week of a swimmer can be brutal. So on Guelph anyway, it was required of the team to attend at least six practices a week. And that was if like you did like if you just wanted to skate by on the team. So most of us were doing like eight, nine, ten practices a week. And so with that, like for me anyway, I would have every morning my normal alarm would be 415, 430 in the morning. And then we'd go to practice and depending on the day, it's either like a sprint set, which is like really fun, really fast, short meters. It can be long distance, which is the absolute worst. It could be stroke specific, which is good, or like a test set, which can either be really fun if everyone's there or can be absolutely terrible. So every morning would be that. And then once the morning practice is done, most swimmers have 830s like 8.30 classes, because for whatever reason, something compels us to go, oh, I'll be awake. I'll be fine for an 8.30. No, it is terrible. That's probably the worst idea, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah, no, It like before it's like, this is a great idea. I'm going to get classes done before lunch. Terrible idea. Uh, So I'd be going to 8.30s. I'd be falling asleep every single time without fail, every single time. And then when class is done, you're suddenly wide awake again. And then so you might have a couple more classes before lunch. And then you'd like go to the library, see your friends, then go out for lunch with them, come back, do a bit more homework, and then you have practice again at one. So the morning practice would end around, oh man, I hope I get this right. It's been a while, like seven, seven thirty, And then the afternoon practice would be at one, but you'd have to be on deck by like 1230. So your body's barely recovered from the morning. So there were a couple days where you had to do doubles best doubles were like you go to crossfit in the morning and then swim in the afternoon because you didn't swim twice double swims were the absolute worst but so that that's kind of like a day or a week i guess in swimming it's just a bunch of exhaustion it's a bunch of training and it's a bunch of trying to catch up on schoolwork that you missed when you were asleep in class that's kind of a day-to-day and then so in terms of competitions for university most of the time it would be Uh, I'm just going to relate it to the big OUA provincial meet in February because that's the first one that's coming to my head. Best meet in the world, by the way. If if a new upcoming varsity swimmer is coming in and you want to quit before February, do not. 
because OUAs is so worth all the brutal training that you've gone through. Like the energy is just unmatched. By far my favorite memories from like my life so far are from OUAs for sure. We would leave the university at like uh, on Thursday, kind of in the afternoon. We'd go to the hotel. We'd shave down everything. We'd have like shaving parties with the guys. It was weird, but <laughs> it was so fun. And then you kind of... It's a swimming thing. <laughs> and then we'd go out for dinner as a team, kind of get each other psyched up. Going for dinner clean shaven. There you go. Yeah, no, it's nice. Like everyone's clean shaven. And then you go back to the hotel and you fall asleep. And that sleep is the best because you're fully shaven. So being under the sheets is, feels weird. But it kind of gets you in the mindset of, okay, now it's time to rock and roll. And so then you wake up the next morning, you go to the pool, we do activation as a team, we go into warm up, everyone's got their own kind of warm up. By university, you kind of know what works for you. By fourth year, you you should definitely know what works for you in a warm up. So you're kind of doing your own thing, getting excited. There's music playing, there's a bunch of teams, friends that you haven't seen in years are there, like it's just a great time. And then the meet starts and you kind of do your Griffin cheer, which was so fun. And then you get your head into the game. You try to psych your team up. You try to cheer and you try to race as fast as you can. Yeah, that's kind of how a meet went and kind of how practices uh, went day to day for a swimmer. So related to the meet, is there a lot of downtime in terms of you getting in your own thoughts? Is that something that you find particularly helpful during a meet where um, other people are racing? You're kind of in the stands watching. Is that a helpful time uh, mental health wise or is that uh, could be a challenge? It can help, but it can definitely be a challenge. What a lot of swimmers will do is, you know, 10, 20 minutes before their their race, they'll kind of just go off to the side and be with themselves to kind of get in the zone. So the downtime really helps kind of get you in the zone, get you ready to go, get you psyched up. Like I know for me personally, I can't be around people right before my race because it just, for some reason, I just, it just gets me out of the zone and it gets me like psyched out of the race so being alone definitely helps but it can also be a negative thing if you're going into this downtime thinking i'm gonna swim terrible or i don't want to be here like this meet sucks or i hate swimming i've had meets like that where it was it was me going like why am i here like i i hate this meet i i'm swimming like i'm so bad so the downtime really did not help because it's just you again and the only opinion that you have is yourself. So going into downtime, even if you're swimming bad, like some great advice my dad used to give me was like one race at a time, like whatever happened the last race, you should not let that affect you for the next race. So that's kind of how you have to go at downtime. You kind of got to channel every all your energy into that one race as opposed to thinking about the race before where you might not have swam so well or thinking about how much you hate the meat. If you're going to think like that, then yeah, it's definitely negative on your mental health, but there are ways around it. For sure. And that helps a little bit with uh, our segue into segment three. So misconceptions, what are some misconceptions you think people have about being a varsity swimmer? And then on top of that, being someone who has mental health in terms of challenges or things that they go through? I think the first misconception I want to get, I want to clear the air here. I hear this all the time. Swimming is for sure a sport. I joke about it all the time, but I have had legitimate athletes come up to me and say, swimming is not a sport. Like you can't relate to sports. Excuse me. <laughs> 
any athlete who says that and is like legitimate about it, I know swimmers joke about that a lot. Me and my friends, we oh, we're always like, oh, swimming's not a sport; it doesn't count. But if an athlete is legitimately saying swimming is not a sport, I'd love to see them try to survive half of the practices we do like throughout the week. Like I, I'd like to see them finish a taper practice, which is like the easiest practice you can get before a competition so that you're ready. I'd like to see them try. So that's a big misconception I want to get out of the way. Swimming is absolutely a sport. It's just as hard as anything else. So that's that's the first one. You were waiting to share that one for a while. <laughs> Man, that statement is so stupid. It rattles me. Like people literally will come up to me and have the nerve to go swimming is not a sport. What are you talking about? Seriously? Like are you kidding? I don't go through what I go through for you to come to me and tell me it's not a sport. But anyway, that's I could rant about that for years. You could write a book. <laughs> I could literally write a book about like how stupid that statement is, but that's not important. Another misconception kind of that I hear all the time is that, and this was more so when I was coming up, like when, you know, I was a rookie or I was in high school, like a big misconception I got is that athletes that need help that like go to therapy, that get medication are weaker than other athletes. And then specifically male athletes that go to get help are just super weak. Like, any male athlete I remember in like high school that would like go to get help. It's like, what are you a wimp? Are you even a man? Like it was so frowned upon. Yeah, it was so frowned upon. And then two big words that I talked about in the men's only mental health panel was man up because those two words like have been used so much. And it's kind of like a staple in men culture that you have to man up and you kind of just brush your problems off and you got to be a man. Don't show emotion. Like that's a huge misconception. If you're feeling a certain way, if you're feeling sad or down or you're dealing with some mental issues, you have to go get help. Pushing it down or like brushing it to the side and saying, I'm a man, I'm tough. I don't need to deal with that. That's so unhelpful to not only yourself, but everyone around you who's who has to deal with like your outbursts and like how you're going to react to bottling things up. I, I remember it gets bottled because, up, right? And then, yeah. yeah, exactly. If you're bottling it up, it, there's going to be a point where you explode and that's not good for anybody. So if you're a man going through things, that's a huge misconception. Man up is are the worst two words I've ever heard. And I say it a lot. And, you know, I've had people come on. I've had athletes talk to me about how man up has affected them getting help because they don't want to be viewed as weak. And I think it's definitely the narrative is changing now for sure. But yeah, that's a huge misconception that still needs to be fixed. Because if you're getting help, not only as a male, like forget the male for a second, if you're getting help as a varsity athlete, that, that doesn't make you weak at all. That that makes you it's like it's an advantage almost to like go get help, I guess. So yeah, that's a huge misconception that we, we have to clear soon no i thank you for sharing that and i know we we get help in other areas right like if you needed help with cooking you would ask someone for a recipe or if you needed help um with studying you would ask for a tutor but no one uh if you go to the writing center which the university of guelph has i used it i think it's really a good resource shout out to them and so if you go there it doesn't mean that you're a weak person it just means you need some help in a certain area so i think oftentimes we globalize everything as oh you struggle with mental health therefore you're overall weak would you say that's something you probably heard as well yeah like every aspect of you is weak if you have like a mental issue which doesn't make any sense 
I think what a lot of people don't realize, and it's easy to forget because you don't see it, but the brain is a muscle. And I've mentioned this before, like, I've used this analogy before, it's stupid, but say you have like a six, six pack abs, let's just say you have washboard abs. And I don't, but let's say you do. <laughs> Neither do I, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to work at them. You have to like take the time out of your day to, you know, do core exercises, do work so that they can stay the way they are. The brain is the same way. You got to you got to exercise it, you got to help it. Like it's not just going to help itself. And I think a lot of people overlook that fact because you can't see the brain and you're kind of just you interpret it as just thoughts in your head that might go away soon. It, it takes work, for sure. And it's something you may have heard as well is the idea that it could be, we talked about this earlier, but just this one-time fix idea, because a lot of times we think, oh, if I just do this mental training exercise, CBT or whatever that looks like once, I'll be cured and everything will be good instead of having to work on it. Whereas as you're mentioning with swimming or other sports, you're not, you don't just go to one practice and you're suddenly going to be a world record holder. Yeah, the healing process is definitely underlooked. It takes a lot longer. And I think, you know, in today's society, especially like people want fast results. They expect results to happen quickly because of social media and like how quickly things are accessed. So they're expecting like, oh, I'll go to one therapy session and I'm fine. I used to be the same way. I I remember I didn't have a legitimate therapy schedule until this past year. I would go in first year, I'd go in second year, but I'd go for like one or two times at a time. Because my girlfriend at the time would be like, you have to go get help. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll get help. And then I'll go after I, after one, I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm cured. I'm fine. And that's never how it works. You have to keep going. Even if you're, if you, even if you're having a good week and your mind is telling you, you don't have to go this week. You're feeling fine. You should still go. Like the process takes a lot longer than people realize. And yeah, it's, it's awful and it sucks, but it's, it's worth it. So Yeah. You just have to go through with it. Yeah, and and for athletes, you put in the hard work in terms of your athletics, right? So for for example, you experience pain with swimming, but it's not like you suddenly stopped after that first practice. So it's kind of similar in terms of the mental health journey as well. So my question is related to you starting the mental corner. You've gone into sort of being able to talk about mental health in a larger scale, both um, at the panel and now with your own public YouTube channel. So what are some things you didn't know about in terms of getting into that realm, being able to share your story publicly that maybe you know now? Some things I didn't know. Well, for one, I didn't know how many people actually dealt with stuff because I hadn't entered that realm. And I guess it's not really talked about that much in our society, but I kind of, when I was closed off, I, ex I just expected everyone to be fine. I kind of just had this idea in my head that everyone was fine except for me when in reality like everyone goes through stuff and of the vast majority of us have struggled at one point or another with something that's a huge thing i've realized kind of with the panel with people coming up to me and then running the youtube channel like people from all different backgrounds are going through stuff and i guess i didn't really realize that until i kind of just entered the realm and kind of let people see my side of the story and then let people talk about their side yeah, and it's just sort of idea you probably heard where mental illness or mental health doesn't discriminate against anyone it's not only for athletes or only for people of a certain uh racial background or religious view things like that so that's definitely uh something to note as well is there anything else you want to add here before we move to rapid fire 
Well, I guess, like, just a final message to everyone, like, you know, no matter what you're going through, a big problem I had was when I was going through stuff, I was always saying, like, it's not as big of a deal as what other people are going through. And that's a huge reason why I bottled everything up. So I guess what I want to say to everyone is, like, it doesn't matter how big the issue you're going through is. Comparing yourself to other people won't do you any good and getting help no matter how big the issue is like can help so much. And then I guess on the other side of things, like I know therapy is like terrifying and I know there's a lot of stigma around taking medication because you don't want to like for me anyway, I didn't want to be seen as like a crazy person taking pills, but like those things are there to help you. They're not there to kind of turn you into a zombie like people say. So therapy is terrifying and the first couple weeks are super uncomfortable because it's like, why should this person care what I have to say? Why should I open up to them? I don't know this person, but it, it really helps in the long run to go get help for sure. Yeah, definitely some wise words to live by and, and I love uh, hearing your story there, Harry. Uh, we're going to move to some rapid fire now, some fun questions for you. Yeah, let's do it. First one is name your top three sports teams and athletes of all time professional uh could be professional could be amateur whatever whatever comes to your mind my friend it doesn't matter (laughs) it's your it's your uh it's your answer there (laughs) oh man all right well i gotta go with the raptors all right so that's number one yeah easily shout out to the raptors last summer actually their run got me through some serious stuff i was in a rough patch before the playoffs went on and then their playoff stretch happened and it's like i i had such a good distraction from everything so big shout out to them and winning the championship, that was crazy. I remember I was crying with my homies with that. That was huge. So them for sure. I feel like, you know, I'd be called a jerk if I didn't put the Guelph Griffin varsity swim team on there. So I got to gotta shout them out. <laughs> Griffins for life, baby. Swimming actually started, I'll, I'll give two people this third spot. So swimming actually started its first professional sports league, finally. And Toronto just got its first team, uh, the Toronto Titans. So they haven't really had a competition yet, but they're from Toronto and I'm super excited. So I'm going to give them the third spot. And then also Toronto Wolfpack is a professional rugby team. I got to give a shout out to them because their games are so fun to go to. And it's about time that Toronto, because there's the Wolfpack and then there's the Arrows. So it's about time Toronto got some rugby in there because rugby is like the most fun sport to watch. And I miss that sport more than anything, but those are the three sports team, three or four, I guess, that I got to give a shout out to. And then three athletes. Yeah. Yeah. So first, right off the bat, Michael Phelps, without a question, inspired the generation of swimmers before me, my generation and the generation after. He's a revolutionary. He put swimming on the map and arguably the best athlete of all time. We could argue about that forever, but we're not going to. <laughs> Another athlete I got to give a shout out to, Fred Van Vliet. That man... In the playoffs, that man was a god in the Bucks and the Golden State games. But it was it's like his it's his slogan that I really that really resonates with me, the bet on yourself. Because like betting on yourself for me anyway, like as soon as I kind of put my mind to it and said, like, I can do this or I can push through this, like that that helped move mountains in my recovery process. So bet on yourself is a huge slogan that I like to live by. Also, he was a huge underdog. He's really small compared to everyone else on the court, and he still cooks people. And on the swim team, I wasn't exactly the tallest person, 
I didn't have the swimmer body type. I never did. So seeing people in other sports that weren't ne- didn't necessarily look like they were built for the sport, but still succeeding and exceeding expectations, that definitely helped. So shout out to the bulldog that uh, Fred Van Vliet is. And Kyle Lowry, I'm not going to shout him out, but like he's in the same conversation. And then, oh man, third athlete. I'm going to shout out Brent Hayden. He's a swimmer. He's an Olympic swimmer. And he just, he's making a comeback. And this year he was supposed to make the Olympics because he's swimming ridiculous times for, I don't even know, I don't even know how old he is. I think he's like 37 or something. And he's making a comeback and he's sitting like at, on the top of the Canadian like rankings, which is ridiculous because swimming is such a young sport. So shout out to him showing everyone that the old man still got it. That's crazy. Awesome. And now we're going to move to question two. I want your favorite sports memory both for you as an athlete and then as you as a fan? Well, I mean, I think as a fan, it's kind of obvious. I feel like everyone, if you like sports, everyone's got the same memory. Raptors winning that chip. Not even just that game, but the whole run was like incredible. I was almost a bigger fan of the games where everyone was like, oh, we're done. than the championship game, even though that last game was so stressful like the game seven in philly was ridiculous that shot will be everyone's favorite memory for a while and then the bucks being up what was it two nothing two oh yeah two oh and then we win four in a row like oh my goodness gracious so yeah the raptors playoff run in 2019 was for sure my favorite moment as a fan and then favorite moment as an athlete Oh man, I got a couple. Okay, I'll, I'll throw a couple. So if you're going all the way back to high school, the glory days, the glory days. Yeah, man, back when yeah, the glory days when I was in shape. No, I'm kidding. For swimming, I remember team champs. It was the last year that we were going to have a team champs because they were discontinuing the competition. And so my team was like we have to go out with a bang. We didn't win the meet, but I remember our relay got a medal, which was huge. And in the moment, it was like the best time of my life because it was with like my my brother and then two other people that we kind of grew up with throughout our lives for swimming anyway. And so that was a really big moment for me. And then for rugby, I remember this one game, it was at home. So it was at our high school and it was in the rain and the mud. And it was like just the most badass scene. It was a straight out of a rugby movie, I swear. And we were against the best team in Ontario And we were like, we're not going to win, but let's give them a fight. And we tied them at the end of the game, which like hadn't been done for years in in Sinclair, the high school I went to in our high school's history. It was me and like some of my best friends like ever had made the team as well. And we were all playing at the same time. And it was just a crazy experience that I wish you could get a camera and like take things out of your brain and project it onto a screen because it would be like a straight out of a movie scene. It was crazy. Or maybe I'm remembering it wrong. I don't know. You're adding things to the memory. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in terms of university, I think my favorite memory all time was in my second year of swimming. It was at the end of the meet. There's a relay. It's a four by 100 meter freestyle relay. And it's by far the most hyped up relay of all time for anybody. There's always so much energy. It's the last event of the meet. Everyone's like ready to go. And we didn't really expect much because we had just lost an Olympian the year before. Like he he graduated. So he was big points in the relays. He was fast. And we were like, we're, we we probably won't get 
the same position that we did last time, but just go out there and go all out. I wasn't in the relay. I was just watching. But I remember the the relay came third, which we expected like sixth or fifth at best. And I just remember the emotion that came out of that uh, relay was insane. And like half that relay graduated that year. So it was a big moment for Guelph. And I think it just kind of brought my year of swimmers together closer. So those moments for sure, huge highlights. That's great. And we're going to move to some non-sports questions now. So get ready for it. You got one last meal to eat. You got to tell me what appetizer you're having, main course, dessert, and drink. Man, okay. I'm a big food guy. I was called like the the dumpster by my grandparents when I was younger because I would just eat everything. Big fan of food and it's a problem. Man, I, I'm a big fan of uh, spinach and artichoke dip. Hey, that's good. With the pitas, right? With the pitas. Pitas, yeah, yeah. F- forget the chips. You can put the chips away. The pitas are where it's at. I went to a place. It's in Guelph. It, it must, I forget where it is, but they have deep fried pitas. That is like game changer. So deep fried pitas with spinach and artichoke dip is my appetizer. And then main course, man, I got to go with wings, chicken wings. I'll get 20 pounds. It's my last meal. I'll get 40. I'll go all out here. Might as well. <laughs> Might as well. I'm I'm not having another meal. And then I'll make half of those sweet chili Thai. And then I'll make the other half Caribbean jerk. Yeah. It sounds like you need some Buffalo Wild Wings sponsorship or something there. Dude, if they did that, I would be forever grateful. Shout out to Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm drooling just thinking about it. I can't wait to go back when Corona's done. I'm going to eat so much. Dessert, you said? Yeah, dessert and drink. Alcoholic or non-alcoholic, your choice. Got it. Dessert, I got to go with New York style cheesecake with caramel sauce. That's the way to go for me. It's good stuff. And then for a drink... I got to go with white wine. I'm a classy guy. I like wine and I feel like if it's my last meal on earth, I might as well go out classy. There you go. That's the reputation you want to go out as. So you're given the chance to put on a concert in your backyard. You're allowed to book any band or artist in the world, living or dead. You got to pick three and the order in which they play. It's a venue. I want it to be banging. Like I want... I want there to be good energy. I'm going to bring Drake on. Okay, is he opening? Ooh, I don't I don't know yet. I'm going to list them and then I'm going to think of the order. That's tough. Drake's on for sure though. Oh man, I'd bring out Nipsey Hustle, rest in peace. Now do I stick with the rap or do I Oh, actually no, sorry. Okay, I'm sorry Nipsey. I'm bringing Rick Ross out. I I'm switching Nipsey with Rick Ross. Rick Ross is like my favorite artist of all time. Do I do I stick with the rap or do I go for like an R&B vibe? I'm going to bring out Childish Gambino. I'm going to let Rick Ross open. Kind of get the crowd nuts. Uh, I'm going to let Drake be the main event. Because then he and Rick Ross can do some joint songs. It's a nice transition. And then he can kind of close out with some R&B kind of vibes. And then Childish Gambino can come on and kind of let the crowd go on a nice little note. All right, sounds good. That's the ideal concert here for uh, Harry Potter Mental Corner. (laughs) So question five here, what's the best advice you've ever received? So be it as an athlete or be it as a mental health advocate, what are some, uh, what's some advice you you got that you want to share with other people now? Best advice I got as an athlete was from my father, who was also a varsity swimmer. 
and he he told me time and time again, no one's ever died from swimming, so don't overthink it. Best advice I ever got. Thinking that way kind of let me not stress as much about big races because my my big fear in high school and stuff was I'm going to drown. I'm going to swim terribly and I'm going to drown. I'm not going to make it. And my dad's like, no one has ever died from competitive swimming. Just put your head down and trust your training. Best advice I've ever gotten as an athlete stuck with me my whole career. And then in terms of mental health, man, honestly, like it, it's going to sound so cliche, but like everything happens for a reason is a huge advice I used to get. And at first I was like, that is so cliche and whack. Like, I'm not going to listen to that, but it's true. Like things do happen for a reason. And for me anyway, like I like having a plan and I, I hate when my plan doesn't go according to how I had planned it. And so when things go out of whack, it's kind of like the end of the world for me mentally. But having that kind of thought process, like everything happens for a reason, you just kind of take what you have and work with it. Like that's definitely helped me get out of that headspace where, oh, it's not going according to plan. It's the end of the world. Like things are out of whack. You don't know the future. It's You're allowed to not know the future. Things happen for a reason. Go with it. Work with what you've got and just take it from there. Yeah, that's big advice that I've gotten that I would use for sure. Okay, last question now, Harry. If you could be any position on any team or in your case maybe an individual sport what would it be so you have all the talent in the world you could be whoever you want or whatever team you want so what would it be so first off man i'd love to be champion of the world for swimming but maybe maybe like second or third i feel like first is a lot of pressure so second or third in the breaststroke events i'd be that'd be perfect uh so that for swimming rugby i'd love to be it was always a dream of mine to be on Team Canada, be the hooker for Team Canada. So uh, that would be a dream come true. It won't happen, but it, like if I were to be able to do that for sure. And then finally, I'd love, this would be my favorite, be like a point guard on a playoff team in basketball because I I played intramurals and for some reason I convinced myself I was a point guard. I'm terrible with the ball. I don't have handles. I can't shoot. The only thing I'm good for is rebounds because I'm short, but I'm just as heavy as everyone else. But yeah, definitely a point guard on a playoff team in the NBA. There you go. So you're 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 a tri-sport athlete in this Maple Leaf world. I like it. That's right. So if our audience wants to find out more about you and what you do, where can uh, they find this information? I've got everything. The Mental Corner on YouTube. It's it's just one word because the spaces were taken. So. The Mental Corner is just one word on YouTube. I'm on Instagram at The Mental Corner again. I'm on Twitter at Corner underscore Mental. And then I'm on Facebook at The Mental Corner. And then obviously like the articles. So yeah, I'm pretty active on social media. I am on my phone like all the time, especially now uh, with the coronavirus and me having nothing else to do. So getting in contact with me is super easy and I'm more than willing to talk to anybody. So just give a shout out, give a reach. Yeah, if you didn't take anything away from this podcast, take away this, that Harry's just willing to talk about his story. Um, he shared that in front of 300 people. He shared that online uh, through his U-Sports article and then obviously on his own YouTube channel. So I'll leave all that information in the show description. So Harry, thanks for your time. Great interview today. Learned a lot about you and your journey. And I love just the courage you have to share it. So thanks again for coming in. Do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was fun.
the rapid fire was fun. I appreciate coming on. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Bryce Foster, a member of Team Canada's sitting men's volleyball team. Hear about Bryce's journey onto the national team, the differences between sitting and standing volleyball, and his experiences sharing about being a para-athlete to youth and schools. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commenting highlights on my YouTube channel, Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.